talked about such, that we would be the happiest people on earth. Are we? Are, are we? Okay, that's no. Okay, so that wasn't kind of, I wasn't looking for a big response, but it's interesting, isn't it? But obviously the difficulty is this, is often the freedom that people are longing for and reflects in our culture is often essentially it comes down to, I want freedom from restraint. I want freedom to do what I want to do. And there are all these things in my life that are preventing me doing what I want to do. But why has that not liberated us? I was going to play you a clip this morning, but it's slightly too long. But there's a very, those of you of a certain age may remember there was a film um, starring Mel Gibson called Braveheart. Anybody see the film Braveheart? Okay, a number of you. It's actually quite violent, so if you're of a nervous disposition, maybe not the film for you. Uh, but those of you who remember it, there's a great scene at the end of the film. And those of you who saw it may remember it. Where William Wallace, who was played by Mel Gibson, leads a small band of Scots in a guerrilla war against the hated English. The hated, oppressive English. And at the end of the film, Wallace is betrayed by some Scottish nobles. He's beaten to the point of unconsciousness and he's handed over to the English. He's then taken down to London and charged with high treason. Wallace was told that if he confesses, his death will be quick and painless. But if not, he will be tortured. Wallace refuses to confess, and so he's hanged, he's drawn, and he's quartered. The magistrate right at the end offers him a quick death if he begs for mercy. But even at the end, Wallace will not be broken. And instead of begging for mercy, he cries. What does he cry? Any Scottish in the house today? He cries, freedom! Doesn't he? He kind of, with a kind of, I've been oppressed, and I'm standing for this. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to be enslaved by the English. And it's a famous, he's famous for his dying words, being freedom! And it's those words that actually became the rallying call for the Scots. They defeated the English at Bannockburn. The Bible paints a picture of humanity that is not free, but longs for freedom in all the wrong places. We're enslaved socially, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, as a nation, as peoples. And we really, really need freedom. God longs for us to have freedom. Jesus described his whole ministry as one of bringing and releasing freedom. The reason Jesus came into the world was to set us free. That's one of the meanings of Jesus came to save us. Freedom, as most of us who know who've been around church a while, is at the heart of Christianity. And right here, verse 1, Paul says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, stand firm, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So what are we free from? 
What are we free from? Actually, throughout the book of Galatians, Paul has been talking about the freedom that Christ brings to us. This is a selection of some of the verses. You might not be able to see them that well, but uh, those are a selection of the verses. And it's a pretty comprehensive list. If you just took some time to consider what Paul is saying in all those verses, you would realize just how much Christ has done for us. He's released us from constantly fearing about the future from being fearful of condemnation as we stand before God. I wonder how you imagine yourself standing before God this morning. Are you fearful of that? In Christ, you don't need to be. You're free from condemnation. We're free from the self-centeredness that dominates our lives. We've been set free from yesterday's guilt about the things we did do and the things we didn't do. And I've got a long list of things I didn't do. But we can be free from that. We can be free from that. We can be free from the fear of death. Christ came to set us free. Paul says the goal of Christianity is freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And the goal, as we've talked in previous week of Christianity, is to come and transform and liberate our hearts so that we become the people God always intended for us to be. But that doesn't just happen automatically. It requires a work of God to release that and to see that come into pass. And Paul's letter to the Galatians is to us, is the great alternative to looking to Christ for freedom, is looking to where the world looks, which is to the law and a set of rules and a set of things you've got to follow, whether it's self-help or some other set of rules. Verse 4 says, you are trying to be justified by the law and have been alienated from Christ. Paul says, you have fallen away from grace. You've fallen away from grace. And most of us will probably be aware of this and have experienced this if you've been a, a Christian a while. It's this, it's just restructuring things on the outside of your life will never be enough. However many good things you put in your life, the problem is this, it doesn't get to the heart of the human problem. If you're unsure of that and think about that, these are the words of Beatrice Webb. Beatrice Webb is considered by many people to be one of the architects of the British welfare state. And she wrote this in her diary in 1890. She said this, I have staked all of the essential, all, I have staked all on the essential goodness of human nature. Now, 35 years later, I realize how permanent are the evil impulses and instincts in humankind. How little you can count on changing some of these. For instance, the appeal of wealth and the appeal of power. And by any change in the social machinery, no amount of knowledge, no amount of science will be of any avail unless we can curb the bad impulses in human beings. You see, the thing is this, we don't understand the depth of the problem. We think the issue is all about our behaviors and it's about morals rather than the transformation of the heart. See, all of these moral solutions, all these ethical solutions, all these social transformational projects, all these educational 
kind of solutions to our, to our world do have a place, don't get me wrong. They're not without any value. But they're treating the branches rather than the roots. I wonder whether you're familiar with the work of AA. And in the work of AA, there's a term they call, called the dry drunk. AA talks about dry drunks. And it means that unless a person is inwardly transformed, unless a person is changed at the level of their hearts, the same issue that drove them to addiction for drink will simply transfer from drink to something else, from one addiction to the, to the other. Eating, smoking, drugs, drinking, criticalness, whatever. Just cleaning up the outside, anybody who's been to AA and done that, just doesn't, does it? It doesn't deal with the issue. It doesn't get to the heart of the problem. So what does Paul say here? Some things that we can uh, focus on to find freedom from that. There's some beautiful things in verse 5 and 6 where Paul talks about a trinity of values. Of faith, of hope, and of love. And our prayers and the beginning of our service celebrate so much of that. Because the thing is this, we need to find a power to expel the very things that we want to get rid of. The lust, the pride, the meanness of spirit, the self-pity that so many of us get caught up in. Where do we find the power to transform the human heart. And Paul, at the end of our passage, gets to the heart of it, coming face to face with the cross of Jesus. Come face to face with the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the cross is an offense, Paul says. Faith looks first at the cross of Jesus you allow the eyes of your heart to stare at the cross and see on the cross that the one perfect holy son of God would hang there, would bleed there to death for you and for me, for our sins. Your pride will become destroyed if you stare at the wounds of the same son of God those wounds of a torn body, and you lay hold of the wounds and the blood of Christ that comes to cleanse us, to purify us. You'll discover the heart and the power of the God who has power to overcome all sin and death. The cross is a place where we find the power to go from pride to humility, from chaos to peace, from sadness and grief to joy again. And the issue is this, I grew up uh, in the north, and one of the kind of things is that you value certain type things and that kind of thing that they say to people, just try harder, pull pull yourself up by your bootstraps, it'll be okay. But it doesn't work on some things, does it? It doesn't, it's not enough. It will never be enough to experience the righteousness that our hearts and our lives desire. See, God has come to us, shown us his love for me and for you. And he's given himself to us on the cross. He's saved us, set us free, and given us the spirit to live for him. We're going to talk about that next week. See, you and I know that actually 
in, in virtually every other area of life, if we work hard enough, if we're determined enough, if we're gifted enough, we can do many, many things. We can go from A to B. We can produce the results that we want. But you see, hard work alone will not change a human heart from being proud to being humble. It will not turn our hearts from being full of self-pity to being compassionate to those around us. It will not change us from being self-obsessed to being people who love to share their goodness with others. To be the people who are grateful and joyful and peaceful, even in the midst of darkness. Christ comes to set us free from the inside out. Last week I was uh, watching something and someone used an illustration that I'm going to attempt to adapt for us in terms of, well, what's that look like? Give me an example of what that looks like. See, God loves to set captives free. And I don't know what you're facing in your life this morning. You know, I don't know what the things that are besetting your life are. I've got a feeling for some of those things, having known some of you quite well. The things that are imprisoning you, that God longs to set you free from. But when the Holy Spirit, when we ask the Holy Spirit to come and get and work in life, often what starts to happen is things start to come to the surface of our lives. And God gets to work as he wants to change us and make us more like Christ. And some of that can be quite uncomfortable because you sort of think, oh, I don't want to have to face that. That's a bit difficult. But the thing is this, is when God brings stuff to the surface, he wants to come and set us free from some of those things. God wants to come into the house, into the things that enslave us. Whatever those things are, besetting sins, stuff that's happened to us, whatever, God puts an arm around us out of love and compassion. He cleanses us, he forgives us, he sets us right. But the thing is this, is what he then does is, he walks us out of that prison to set us free. And then he burns the house down of the things that held us. He doesn't just stay there. He doesn't just stay there offering compassion and love. Sometimes we're not perfect, but he doesn't just stay there being free means to walk us out of the prison and to burn the house down so that it can't enslave us again. That's what God longs to do. That's what freedom, God's freedom, looks like. He longs to set us free, not just to offer comfort, to offer love, to offer strength. And he does all that, don't get me wrong. But if you've experienced any of that, you'll know that that's what God has done for you. There'll be things in your life you can point to where he's walked you out of that room and set you free. And that's what God longs for us, and we long for each other, not just to put a loving arm around people, which is great, but to help them find freedom. That's what I long for. Certainly, I know I long for that, and I know the people who live with me long that for me too. But also, we long for each other too. So if this morning you are imprisoned, if you know as I'm speaking, there's something that's coming, you know, pounding in your heart or in your mind. If God is bringing something to your attention in your life, it's actually because he wants to free you. It's a good thing. I know you may not feel like that. It's because he wants to cleanse you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to free you. He wants to burn the old prison down on the way out of there. Not just sanitize the outside and make it think like, do you know, this is quite a nice house. 
been quite a comfortable place to live for the last however many years. I've got used to it. I'm not sure I really want to get free. He comes because he wants to take us out and then you'll never know what he wants to use you for, for all those things when he does that work within you. A heart ransomed, forgiven, healed, and restored. It's gone quite quiet. Next week, we'll think a little bit more about what God has freed us for rather than what God has freed us from as we think about the work and the personal work of the Holy Spirit. Because God sent his son to set us free to fulfill his purposes on earth. And just to prove that I am still an Anglican, in case some of you worry about that thing, in the 1970s, uh, Michael Ramsey, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, did a series of four lectures at Cambridge University on faith and freedom and the future. And this is a book in which he wrote it. And he said this, he said, and I still sometimes think this is the presenting issue. He said, we know what we want to be free from. Imagine if I sat with you now and said, what are the things? You could probably name them. But the question is, what are we free for? What are we free for? And he said this, we speak a great deal about freedom from persecution and arbitrary imprisonment, crippling hunger and poverty, and I would add injustice for that at the minute in our society. But we need to speak in the context of a more radical revolutionary issue of freeing man from himself, freeing man from himself for the glory of God. If I could add, for the splendor of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask afresh that this is your church, this is your gift to us. And we just ask that by your Spirit, would you come afresh upon us. King Jesus, would you come and take the chaos and the brokenness and some of the darkness and frustration and the, um, and the difficulties of our life, and would you bring increasing freedom amongst us? Father, would you set us free to be the people you've called us to be? Would you come and maybe this morning there are one or two things in your life where you've got so identified with a besetting sin or a circumstance that you find it difficult even to say that Christ came to set me free. You find it actually difficult to say those words because you've got so used to identifying with um, the way that God comes alongside the suffering that you can't get beyond that. Father, would you reset us, Lord, not just as people of compassion, but people of liberation too. Thank you that your blood washes away all darkness, the sin and the shame, the things that stick to us. Would you expel anything of darkness amongst us as we bring things into the light, as we bring our lives and this, uh, the life of our church into your light? Father, thank you that you're kind and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Amen.